Vintage brand is the story of American sporting culture, combining our rich history, traditions, rituals, and pageantry. Weaving together more than a century of American sports memories and images, it defines what tradition really means. Come experience the history and rituals. Remember and honor the legends. Feel the passion and pageantry of the past. Welcome to the greatest collection of American sports history and images, all reproduced on fan apparel and merchandise. Welcome to Vintage Brand. And welcome everyone to our latest edition of the games people play with Bernie Porter. Once again, I remain Bernie Porter, very pleased to be with you once again here today. And uh, we're returning to the ice today. First time we've been on the ice in a while. And we're very happy to have with us a gentleman who uh, is arguably, we'll be talking about this among other subjects, uh, the most beloved man in hockey, one of the great elder statesmen of the game, 53 years in professional hockey, 22 guiding the Nets for the Boston Bruins, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the St. Louis Blues, and the Chicago Blackhawks, and then 31 years as a coach and a general manager and administrator in professional hockey. We are very pleased to have with us today on the Games People Play stage, Eddie Johnston. Eddie, welcome to the show. It's really a pleasure to have you with us. So we'll have some fun today. All righty. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sit back and enjoy the ride. And, uh, Eddie, we, uh, we always go back uh, to the beginning and, and the roots, if you will, of our guests on the games people play. And uh, your roots uh, actually goes to, I guess, arguably the hockey mecca of the entire world, and that is to Montreal. You grew up in uh, an Anglophone uh, neighborhood in Montreal. And I suspect that uh, the Montreal Canadiens uh, were a big part of, uh, of your youth and your first memories of hockey being uh, so close to the Forum and to that story franchise. Yeah, I, 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 I could have walked to the Forum in about uh, five minutes. I grew up in, it was called in the West End in Montreal. And uh, I'm one of six brothers and we had, uh, hockey was, you know, number one in, especially in Canada during the winter time, you didn't nothing else to be to be done outside of playing hockey. So I was blessed to uh, be able to uh, grow up in a Montreal organization as a junior, played junior with, with the pocket rocket and, and a few of the guys. And uh, I've been, uh, I've been very fortunate. We're five minutes from the uh, forum. One of the great pros of my life was having the opportunity to, to see games at the Forum. Uh, my dad was a big Canadians fan, and my brother and uh, always had a, an infatuation and an interest in the Canadians and, and their great uh, their great tradition and history. And uh, I always like to ask guys uh, when I have an opportunity of goalie, uh, what brought them to the position? Early hockey experience for you, Eddie? Were you always a goalie, or did you play elsewhere and then put the pads on? Well, I I, I played out, outward, you know, like uh, forwards for about a little bit until my uh, two older brothers uh, decided to put me in. Uh, we needed a goalkeeper, so they stuck me there, which was ended ended up being pretty good. But uh, they're the two uh, that decided that I should play goal. Billy and Tommy. That That's right. That often happens. It's always the little brother that gets stuck in the net. Yeah, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Okay, okay. It worked out pretty good. 
And uh, you know, Montreal is obviously a, a great uh, a blend, a cultural blend city. And uh, once again, you grew up uh, the English uh, side of Montreal. The one thing that really brings people together in Montreal, whether you're French or English, is the Montreal Canadiens franchise in their history. Oh, there's no question about that. You know, that was a, a big plus, the, the hockey with the Montreal Canadiens, because they were so successful, you know, all the way during their franchise, you know, back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, they won, I think, the pocket rocket. I think he's, I think he won 11 cups, you know, so which right. just, just tells you, and I play, I played junior with him, so just, you, you know, the impact of hockey had on the people there. The, the big turning point for you in terms of gaining the attention of uh, the Montreal Canadiens uh, right in your hometown was a, a Montreal Catholic high school tournament where uh, you get in there and uh, pitch a shutout uh, in front of about uh, an high school level game, prep level game, in front of about 10, 12,000 people. Do you, do you remember that game and the impact that had really on your life? Yeah, there, there's no question about that. It was, you know, it was the Catholic. Uh, league at that particular time and getting a shutout and uh, I got an invite to the Montreal Canadiens juniors camp at that particular then and it, uh, it worked out extremely well for me. Were you at uh, your high school, were you at Montreal? I know there's a Montreal Catholic high school, was that your high school? What was your high school then? Yeah, it was uh, at St. Thomas More. St. Thomas More. Mm -hmm. I know that the, uh, I know from my, my late dad who was a goalie in the Greater Boston League that the Montreal Catholic All-Stars would send a team down to play the Greater Boston League All-Stars every year. Yeah, I didn't, I, I wasn't uh, fortunate enough to have that. <laughs> it would have been great, you know. <laughs> you could have got an early look at Boston. <laughs> yeah, it would have been great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, you mentioned about you got the attention um, of the Canadians. And of course, uh, we've got to kind of educate some of the younger people. There was no NHL draft until, until 1963. So essentially, the Canadians had your rights uh, when you went to play for the uh, Junior Royals and uh, Trois Rivera in your first couple of years back in 1953 54. Yeah, there was, there was no uh, draft back then. And it was our, the general manager of Montreal Canadiens was a guy named Frank Selkie Sr. And uh, I had uh, played in three uh, different leagues. The, uh, Quebec uh, Professional League, we won the championship. I went to Johnstown, PA, won the championship. And then I went to Hull, Ottawa, and won the championship. And uh, three professional, minor professional championships. And Mr. Selke told me if uh, if I won the championship in uh, Hull, Ottawa, that you'd give me an opportunity to uh, play in the NHL. And thank God for him. Uh, it, it, indeed. And you mentioned uh, the, the, the road, uh, Trois-Rivières, Chatham, Moncton, uh, Chicoutimi. Uh, Canadians. <laughs> I was all over the map. <laughs> you made you made a lot of snubs. And uh, you mentioned about uh, Johnstown, of course. Uh, Johnstown became famous years later because of the uh, the uh, venue for slap shot. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I, that must have brought, brought back some memories for you. Yeah. And. Uh, you uh, you turned pro actually 1956 season with with Winnipeg and uh, then spent time uh, in uh, with with the other stops that you mentioned there, but uh, actually had uh, your rights sold to the uh, Chicago Blackhawks and went to your first NHL training camp with the Blackhawks. 
Oh, I, uh, I was basically with the, uh, when I left the Montreal situation and I, they got, a, we got affiliated with, I think uh, Winnipeg or one of those teams uh, uh, had some kind of affiliation with the, with the Chicago Blackhawks and, but evidently that's what happened. I'm not really uh, positive uh, back then what really happened, but uh, uh, the getting the chance from uh, uh, when I was in the Montreal organization was was because Mr. Selkie, and, and that's how we went to Boston. And uh, of course, with uh, Chicago, and uh, at the time they had a pretty good one that would have been ahead of a guy by the name of Glenn Hall. Yep, it was a. a uh, at Glen Hall, and it was in Chicago, but saw Chuck in uh, Detroit, Jacques Plant in uh, Montreal, Worsley in, uh, in New York, Johnny Bauer in uh, Johnny Bauer in Toronto, and I was the one in uh, in Beantown. Exactly, amazing to think about that there was just uh, the original six teams. You know, once again for our uh, younger generation, six teams, and as you pointed out, six goaltending jobs. All the goaltenders wore number one, and they were they were number one in more ways than one. You guys were very much on an island at that position. Well, that was it. Number one was our IQ. Anybody that played goal back then without a mask, that they they said that number was our IQ. <laughs> well, you, you got to Boston, uh, 1962, 63, and uh, came uh, from the Chicago organization to the Bruins organization. Uh, these weren't exactly uh, auspicious days, if you will, or successful days for that Bruins franchise at the time. It was a little bit of a franchise in the wilderness at that time that you played for, Eddie. Well, it was uh, both us in New York, you know, we're, we were constantly out of the playoffs. You know, we used to play, a, I used to say around Christmas time, we used to play for the Eastern Seaboard Championship because we were the two teams that were out of the playoffs every year. You guys were battling it out for five and six instead of top four. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you, came, you came there and once again, uh, as we said, the, the, the depression years for the Bruins, which went from 1959 until finally making the playoffs, which we'll get to in just a couple of minutes, 1967. The guy that you replaced uh, from my research seemed like he was kind of an interesting character, a uh, guy that uh, was at the position. What do you remember about Bobby Perot, who was the Bruins goaltender? Uh, he came into camp with me, and uh, Bobby Perot was, you know, a great, uh, great guy and a, and a hell of a goalkeeper. And he used to, no matter when he traveled, he had a monkey with him all the time. He had a monkey with him, put him used to put him on his shoulder and walk around and before practice and all that stuff. But uh, he was a character, I'll tell you that. But he, he did have the monkey. He always, always good to have the monkey, safety first. Yeah, and, uh, that's right. Yeah, you, you must have been popular already when Ringling Brothers was in the Boston Garden. He Well, you know what happened in, in training camp? My equipment never showed up. And and that's basically uh, how Bobby uh, ended up starting the uh, the season for us. But uh, I remember going in and 
uh, helping him out. Uh, they made a goalkeeper change during the, the course of the game back then. And that was the only, uh, that's how I basically got back in and started to play regular for the Bruins. And regularly you did. You, you ended up appearing in 49 games that 62-63 season. But then you go to the 63-64 season, uh, a record that uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say is not going to be equal. You played every minute of all 70 games that season for a team that uh, finished a pretty distant sixth of the, of the original six that year. You had six shutouts, and uh, with no mask, every minute of every game, a true Iron Man, and that's a remarkable accomplishment. Yeah, I was I was very fortunate. I, got, I had a couple of uh, broken noses that year, but you know you survived that. But uh, I was very fortunate that I was able to play the uh, whole season, every minute of every game. You mentioned about the broken noses. That was something that I noted. You broke your nose on consecutive days. You got back in the net. And then yeah, I, I played in New York and I broke it in New York. And it was a Japanese doctor and I called him a few names because he used to stick those cot sticks up your nose and then go back on the ice. And then I went to Montreal for the weekend on Saturday and I rebroke it again on Saturday. And then uh, when I came home, I went to the Mass General Hospital because my eyes were pretty well shut. And they, and they put leeches on my eyes. Yeah, they still use leeches now, but they put leeches on my eyes and uh, uh, I was there for about an hour or so, an hour or two, and then uh, played against Chicago the following night and beat them. I think we beat them 2 nothing. And you got to shout out the boot. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, the next year, uh, you split some time uh, with uh, Jack Norris, who would become a footnote to Bruins history because he factored in, in the, the trade we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, the big trade with Blackhawks. And then the following year, out of, uh, out of Ni uh, Niagara Falls Junior Program, also a Montreal native, Bernie Perron. What do you remember about Bernie early on from camp and so forth? Oh, he was, he was a terrific uh, uh, goalkeeper. And he went, he went on you know, to win a cup and went to Philly, but uh, he's, a, he's a Hall of Famer. He's just, he was just a special special kid at that particular time, and, and he went on to have a fantastic career. A tre tremendous, uh, tremendous netminder uh, with uh, the great uh, Bernie, Bernie Perrant, uh, and that was his first experience in the NHL as uh, property of the Bruins and spending time with the Bruins at the time. Yep. During that time, was, was one guy that really shared your experience and would share your, your whole Bruins experience, if you will, what it was like in the bad old days and then what it would become in the great days of the Bruins Stanley Cup, and and that was Eddie Westfall. You guys spent a lot of time together as teammates. Oh yeah, I still I, st I still see Eddie in Florida when I go down there, and uh, you talk about uh, penalty killing or that. Uh, him and Derek Sanderson were the two best in the league, and uh, Eddie went on had, had to have a terrific career, and God bless him. He's he's still in uh, terrific shape and good health and everything. So. Uh, I always look forward to uh, when I get into uh, Florida uh, to get together and play around a golf with him. Absolutely, Eddie, uh, great, uh, great Bruin, great. Uh, also, uh, similar to you with your history, which we'll get into with the Penguins and his time that he spent with the Islanders for, for many yep. years. Yep. During, during, during that time, Eddie, uh, there was certainly a feeling in Boston, there was a buzz around Boston about a kid who was up in Ontario was playing for the Oshawa Generals, and it was almost like 
uh, well, it was it was it was similar to uh, the bi- biblical uh, analogy. He's coming. Oh Who yeah, was, talk, Moses talking about Mo- Moses. Well, Moses was going to come and, del- and deliver the people of Boston and the Bruins. What, what do you remember? What was you remember about the first time you heard the name Bobby Orr, Oshawa Generals, Great Phenom? What do you remember about that? Oh, I mean, that, that, that was like, you know, we hit the lotto, you know. And the f- first thing he came in the training camp, it was, it was, it was unreal. I mean, uh, he just stood out like a sore thumb. But, you know, guys that come along with that kind of talent, you know, they're once in a lifetime. And uh, that's what he was. And thank God that, he, that, that the Bruins, that he was part of the Bruins organization because, God forbid, anybody else would have got him. Uh, I think we'd have been in trouble for a long, long time. Indeed, and once again, the, the pre-draft, and uh, it's been well documented what the Bruins uh, administration did in order to secure his services, but they did, and uh, Bobby arrived in, in the fall of uh, 1966. He's in his first training camp, and uh, you and Bobby, you guys really bonded. You know, you were 31 at the time. He was an 18-year-old kid, but... You seem like you were uh, simpatico. You guys really seem to uh, have a camaraderie right from the beginning. Well, his, his dad came to me and he said, uh, my son stays here. I'd like to have him uh, to live with you. And I said, are you sure you got the right guy? Because I had a nickname for being downtown called downtown and, and frequent the establishments. And I, and I said to him, are you sure you, you want to? Uh, your son stayed with me. He said, I was told you were the guy and, you know, and, and he stayed with me. Uh, I, I, he would take me downtown and drop me off in my car and uh, I'd go to have a couple of beer and he, he'd go to a movie and then he, he'd pick me up. And after he did that four or five times, I decided to get him a, a cap, like a, you know, chauffeur's cap. And, and every time he'd pick me up out of a bar, I'd go in the back seat and he would take off with the cap on. So it was, it was something else. Here's the best player in the game driving me around. And to this day, I talked to him yesterday. In fact, that's really funny. I talked to him quite a bit. You guys really a, a lifelong connection and, uh, and a friendship. So yeah. uh, he, you'd get in the back seat and you'd say, uh, take me home, Robert. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's what I would tell him. And he was good. He was a great dude. He was a great chauffeur. Great, great chauffeur. Always get you get your home safe. Would it be safe to say, Eddie, you were as opposed to legal, you were Bobby's illegal guardian? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. That's a, that's a pretty good summation. Yeah, indeed. And uh, you know, once again, you were uh, you know once once again very close to Bobby, his family. Uh, visited him a number of times up in uh, Barry Sound, and uh, yep. and uh, really uh, once again really got. Uh, an opportunity to uh, to know him well, and uh, actually, uh, truth be told, Bobby became what godfather to your son uh, EJ. Yep, yep, and uh, he was the best man at my wedding, and uh, you know, like again, we still remain good friends. And I used to love going up to Paris Sound because the fishing up there was ph- phenomenal, and, uh, and Bobby was a great fisherman. He used to go with Ted Williamson quite a bit okay. during his career. Yeah. Uh, him and Ted Williamson, they were both great fishermen. That's right. You mentioned about uh, the, uh, the best man at your wedding, and actually introduced you to your wife Diane. I believe you've been married now. Is it fifty-two 50. years? 
51. We're going on 52. 52. I didn't want to rush it. <laughs> that, that's amazing. So you took good care of him and he took good care of you for a lifetime. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We still like, we, we talk uh, once a week, once every couple of weeks, we talk. That's, that's check on the health, everybody. Exactly. Make sure you check on the health, make sure all the parts are working. It's, uh, if we, we remember, I tell a lot of my guests, Eddie, there's the three stages of life youth, middle age, and you look good. And old age. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. I feel good. I feel good. I, I get out and play a little golf. Um, in fact, I'm going to be playing later on today and uh, with my wife. And, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate because uh, uh, 51 years, uh, I'm, I hit the lotto with my wife. And so it's been great. Indeed. And of course, the Bruins, it was a dramatic turnaround. Uh, Bobby's second year, you made the playoffs and uh, you were kind of a a tandem that was uh, became uh, familiar as, as all the guys in the Bruins in that era. And of course, the goaltending that Cheesy and EJ, EJ and Cheesy, uh, your, your early memories of Jerry Cheevers, the guy that you could share the net with for so many successful years. Well, he's, he, he, when he came in, he was uh, not only a, a great goalie, but he was a great person, you know. And so I was very fortunate to have him as a partner, and uh, we got along extremely well. And uh, you know, uh, it couldn't have been a better guy to, to play alongside. And uh, uh, we got along so great. But uh, yeah, he, he's once uh, to have a, a guy like him on your hockey club. It was terrific. An incident that happened, uh, well, you know, strangely enough, uh, it happened on Halloween 1968 in Detroit. And uh, really a, a, a life-changing and a life-threatening experience that you and that, uh, months, uh, with, you know, a, a your, your memories about that, Ed, and uh, the long road to get back into the net that season. Yeah, I, uh, back then, there was only one, only one puck on the ice, and, uh, and Eddie Shack was playing with us. And if you know Eddie Shack, you know, you, you had to be aware of him on the ice all the time. And the kid gave him a puck. And the next thing you know, uh, Bobby had shot the puck, and I, uh, I was looking at Shacky, and it hit me in the side of the head. Unfortunately, I was in, in a coma for six weeks, and uh, <laughs> you know, then I, uh, uh, when I when I came out, I didn't. Uh, I got a mask from a guy named Ernie Higgins in, in Boston, <laughs> who made the mask for me, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get back in the net at the end of that year. But uh, uh, thank God, my wife took me back to uh, to uh, Detroit from Detroit to Boston because when they took me back, I went right. In, she took me right to the hospital, and, and they put me in the coma there for, like I said, six weeks. Wow! That just, uh, you know, the, the word was that uh, it was it was truly touch and go. That they had a, a priest was on call for you for a couple of weeks, and yep. wow! Just uh, just an amazing story uh, to be able to uh, not only to work through, but that was the impetus for you to put the mask on for the first time. Oh, yeah, that was the first time I put it on, yeah. And uh, like I said, the guy that put it on for me was uh, Ernie Higgins, a uh, mm. kid from the s South Boston. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, I think he was, he was a fireman. Yes, and he became famous for the mass. He did Cheevers and he started to yeah, become one of the first guys. And he did a lot of them for a lot of the NHL players. Mm -hmm. goalies. Look, 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 one, one of the guys. Word was that when Hall and Moose came to down, he came to visit you at, at uh, at, at Mass General, General, he put, put the, the mask, mask on that, that very night for the first time. time. 
That's true. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I saw him after that, you know, and and he said, "Thank God I went to see." He said, "You know," and then the bell uh, rang a bell on me, and he said, "And I put the mask on that night and never took it off again." He said, but, "Amazing." You know, it's, uh... you, said, you said you look scary. <laughs> That's right. A little intimidating. That's right. <laughs> and from from Halloween, you were back. Just remarkable. You were back in the net on January fourth. Uh, two-two tie in Minnesota at the old Met Center, and uh, it carried through uh, for the rest of the season. Healthy, I uh, had an opportunity. Lost a real heartbreaker in Game Two of the uh, the Montreal series. The Bruins were defeated in six games. Uh, a uh, Mickey Redmond deflected in a surge, survived uh, shot. Uh, just a, a heartbreaking experience. But for you and all of your years and and all the time that the Bruins were battling for fifth and sixth, it must have been a particular thrill for you to now to be a goaltender playing in the Stanley Cup, playing some really meaningful games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Oh, there's no question about it. You know, that's what you dream about, first of all, is to get in there. And, you know, and then if an opportunity to, to win the Cup. And they're the two most important things. In, in, indeed. And then, uh, of course, the, uh, the Bruins uh, defeat against the, uh, the, the, the Canadians in, in uh, 1969. Uh, really the impetus for uh, the following year, which is one that, well, we, we did our show. You were part of our show, The Big Bad Hockey, with myself and Kevin DuPont and you, and I believe we had 11 of your teammates. Oh, yeah, it was such yeah, a great we, time. That was and a great show. It, 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 it Really, we thought so. We, you guys had, had as lots much of fun. Of, what's that? We had lots of laughs. It, we, we, had, we had lots of laughs, absolutely. A lot of entertainment. And uh, really, a team that and we captured, I think we did a pretty good job of capturing the moment that day, that is remembered. You, you talk about uh, the the the, uh, the phrase that's thrown around: "Champions walk forever." Man, you guys and me speaking as as ten year old Bernie Corbett, as opposed to almost sixty year old Bernie Corbett. You, you guys didn't only you guys don't only walk forever, but you guys from that era, particularly the nineteen seventy team, you guys walk on water as far as the Boston sporting uh, community is concerned. Just a truly special team and and just what do you remember when you think back comes to mind about that year which was such a magical year as it turned out oh yeah it was it was a magical year you know because they had not won the cup in a long time you know and uh and like i said the, the key the key guy that really changed the franchise was uh, was or and when and we were very uh, fortunate we made a couple of deals we got as uh, espo hodge you know in stanfield from chicago and that just changed our franchise right around and completely. You know, we had, I think Phil got 76 goals or something that one year or so. And I mean, those three additions to our hockey club were phenomenal. Indeed, you guys just really became the stuff of legend, mythical figures, as I think back to my youth and, and think back to how you guys are revered even today. And uh, you, you, had a, uh, you and Cheevers really... Uh, worked well together that season. Uh, you contributed. Yeah. You had 16 wins that year. But in particular, Ed, uh, you were the man uh, at a very key point in the season, a late season injury to, uh, to Jerry. And uh, you came in against Montreal and Chicago, a couple of key games in early March, pitched back-to-back shutouts, and had a streak, a scoreless streak of 138 minutes and 17 seconds. That was uh, you rising to the occasion and responding at the most – opportune and the most significant time well you know we, when you play in front of guys that are that you know that were that kind of a guy so it worked out pretty good 
you mentioned, I, I got to have you uh, step back, if you will, Ed, to just put the, put the general manager's hat on for a minute. That trade with Chicago, your reaction to that at the time, you know all the guys that, that went the other way with Norris and, and, and Marat and so forth, but to get Esposito, Hodge, and Stanfield in, in one trade, uh, just uh, Eddie Johnston, the general manager, just it, it was, that the, was that the all-time NHL steal or what? <laughs> it's got to be the top of the list because, you know, when you get three players of that caliber. Wow. You know, and, uh, and especially guys like, you know, Esposito scores scored uh, 70 goals and uh, Kenny Hodge was a, b- a big six foot three guy and could shoot the puck like a bullet. And, I mean, and I think he got 30 or 40 that year and, and Freddie Stanfield played alongside uh, Johnny Busick and that, I think it was, it worked out terrific. It worked out it, terrific for us. It, it, indeed it did. You mentioned about your uh, major contribution, particularly down the stretch that year, you got to the, uh, the, the Stanley cup and, uh, uh, quite quite a run there in the playoffs with um, your opponents with uh, the Rangers and uh, epic sh- series against the Blackhawks. And then it all came to May 10th, uh, 1970, and uh, the Bruins up 3-0 on, on Mother's Day afternoon, CBS and national audience against the Blues. Y- your thoughts when you think back to that day and uh, the perfect uh, uh, scenario, if you will, for uh, Bobby Orr to be in position the pass from Sanderson. Yep. Your, your reaction as that unfolded as you think back on it, Ed? Oh, it was, it was terrific. You know, we won both cups on Mother's Day. Maybe that's a, <laughs> the mothers were trying to tell us something, you know. that. He, but uh, uh, that particular thing, uh, they, they started the period with uh, uh, Eddie Westfall and, uh, and Derek Sanderson and that they started. And, and to make that, uh, you know, to make that play, uh, well, or... Anything could happen with Orr, and he, all he had to do is get the puck in the, close to him, and he's going to put it in the net. So it was great. And, and indeed he did, and uh, yeah. set off uh, an unprecedented celebration, would you say, afterwards? Oh, it was unbelievable. Uh, I had a nightclub back called EJ's up there. I think we stayed open for 48 straight hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, and a couple of – there was a, a band called Chicago, and they – uh, and when they they came, it was just uh, they stayed at our place and slept in the, in the basement in, in, of the bar, and for they they stayed there for two straight days and played. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and, and there was no and there was no problem with law enforcement officials because I think a few of them maybe uh, enjoyed the celebration and and had a couple of beers or so. <laughs> oh yeah, <clears throat> on, on that particular day, I think the following day, Johnny Buse at. Uh, Johnny McKenzie, and we used to have the, you know, the police used to have those motorbikes, you know, with the sidecar on the side. Yeah. And, uh, and Johnny McKenzie and, uh, t- took the cop, put him in the sidecar because he had a few drinks. And Johnny McKenzie was driving him around the, the city a little bit for, for a while. So, <laughs> uh, God forbid that. But I think the, the mayor suspended the cop for about uh, two days or something. <laughs> but it was it was unbelievable. Johnny McKenzie put him in the sidecar and drove him around. That's the kind of guys that we had on our hockey club back then. Those were the kind of guys that could could win and uh, and uh, the swashbuckling team and, and, and celebrate and and, and, and and knew how to have a good time too. After the fact, I I read a report that uh, you had said that you had a couple of doormen that worked that forty eight hour party that walked away with about fifteen thousand dollars a piece. Each, each, 
15 bucks, uh, 15,000 each because we stayed with those lineups uh, across the street for uh, two days. <laughs> and I ran into those guys a couple of years later and they told me, they said, well, what a great, the party said we made the, the two guys made 15,000 piece. <laughs> You no, know, somebody would leave, and they would, somebody would get in line, give them fifty bucks or twenty bucks, and they'd get in and it, 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 celebrate. Now that's a cover charge, Ed. That's a cover charge. That's not, <laughs> I, I don't know how good the band Chicago was, but uh, but they, they were paying to, to have a drink oh, with the they, Bruins. Oh, they became famous. They became famous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You guys, uh, just uh, just uh, amazing, amazing. Chicago, no less. Wow, yeah. tr- tr- tremendous. And uh, the the aftermath. Um, of that Stanley Cup, and of course, uh, the, the the prowess of the Bruins at that time. I mean, truly, you were on a lot of hockey teams, and we'll talk about some of the other successful ones that, that you were part of uh, coming with the uh, the Penguins and some of the great talent. But truly, a team, as you think now, let's think about Eddie Johnston, the coach. Those Bruins teams, you could win any type of game. You could play physical. You could play with skill. No matter the game, you guys could win it. Yeah, there was no question about it. If you if you wanted to play tough, we had you know we had plenty of guys that could play. We had a guy named Teddy Green who was as tough as there was in the league at that particular time, and nobody dictated how how we were going to play. We just dictated to them how to get the game was going to be perceived. If you want to play tough, you're in trouble. Indeed. You know, the following season, you talk about, uh, you know, only in sports, the, uh, the, the, the highs, the lows. The following year, the team that became known as the record breakers shattered every record. You alone that year, splitting time with Jerry Chivas, you had 30 wins yourself, four shoutouts. Your, your goals against was, uh, was almost 92%. And uh, then it was uh, really the, the, the highest of highs the year before and uh, a, a crushing defeat in that series uh, to, to the Canadians. And a goaltender by the name of Ken Dryden, who literally was not really known by anybody at the time. With his... No, he came out of college. He came out of college. I think, was, I think he went to uh, Cornell. Yeah, Cornell. Yeah, he went to Cornell, and then when he uh, when he came in, he was he was like six five. Hmm. It, it yeah. was a, a big disappointment, but uh, a team that uh, seemed to be. Uh, on, you know, talk about the mission mentality of a team. And uh, going back in my research as to what the aftermath of that game was like, you, really, you, you guys really uh, resolved to make sure that that would not happen the not next happen year. Yet. No, no, it didn't either. Yes. We it, came back and bounced back. It, it, indeed, the redemption from that playoff disappointment was uh, as dramatic the next year. You won 27 games the next year uh, for, for the Bruins. And uh, what was it like as you, as you think back to – uh, the fact that you had uh, such a disappointment in 1971, but the satisfaction beating the Rangers and winning that Stanley Cup in 1972 must have been very special. Oh, it was, it was special for everybody, especially for me. Because I think I, I, I think I finished in the playoff with a six-one record at a 150 average. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. You know, factored in uh, very prominently once again. Great. Uh, uh, tandem with uh, you and, uh, and and Jerry Chivas together. Jerry Chivas, yeah. And uh, and then something came along in hockey. You know, once again, uh, it was kind of a, a, a as a bolt of lightning. That was the WHA, the World Hockey Association, and uh, there were some defections. And one of the defections was 
Jerry Cheever's going Jerry to Cheever. Cleveland. But the, 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 the really good thing would happen with the world hockey coming in, it really helped the NHL because all, the, all our salaries went up, hmm. you know. Uh, but prior to that, you know, we were getting paid good money. But the, we got a shot in the arm because the uh, world hockey paid, paid those guys a lot of money. Paid Cheesy made a couple of million, I think, when he went over there. But uh, for the, uh, the players – in the NHL, everything you got a shot in the arm. Remember Bobby Hull? He went over to Winnipeg, and Bobby Hull ended up getting a couple of million dollars. So to keep our to keep the players in the NHL, all the owners uh, move all the salaries up, which really was a benefit for everybody. It, it, indeed, and led to further expansion. Another guy that uh, did pretty well as far as uh, cashing in was another one of your teammates, sure. Derek, San- Derek Sanderson, going to Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He got a, he got a, a huge chunk of money too. <laughs> Yeah, it, absolutely. A lot of it really changed the uh, forever changed the landscape of uh, of uh, professional hockey. Yes, uh, it did. And uh, you were back in. Really, it was almost like a flashback to a decade earlier, becoming uh, the number one guy. Uh, completely, uh, you know, the uh, undisputed number one guy the following year, uh, seventy two, seventy three, and uh, then uh, after that decade with the Bruins, uh, moved on uh, later in your career to Toronto and then to St. Louis and then uh, briefly with the Blackhawks, but once again, remarkable when you think back 22 years as an NHL netminder. And uh, that, that's another one of those records that I think is, is difficult to match, uh, let, let alone break, particularly with, the, with the, uh, the time that you spent early in your career where you were the Ironman in one of just six. Yep. And, you know, I was, I was blessed, you know, from the guy upstairs took care of me and, uh, I was very fortunate. Yeah, I played till I was 42, so it was, worked out very well in that. It, amazing. And uh, at uh, the end of a 22-year career uh, as a netminder in the NHL, uh, now you moved uh, right behind the bench uh, the following year in the American Hockey League. What about the move to coaching and uh, the fact that you, uh, you really uh, was able to acclimate? It seemed like you were able to acclimate and adapt to that uh, very smoothly. What about that transition in your career, Ed? Oh, I thought that was uh, going over to uh, Moncton, Toronto, and Chicago, where both were both uh, uh, part owners of the of the Moncton hockey team. And I, I was looking forward to you know getting into the coaching part of it. And I was very fortunate to work for board was Jim Gregory over there, and then we had I think Harry Sinden and over in our place, and it worked out very very well for me. And then. The following in the following year, I ended up co- coaching the Blackhawks. Hmm. That's right. You went to the uh, went to the Blackhawks. You had a couple of uh, great stars that were at the end of their career: uh, Tony Esposito and uh, Stan Makita. But yeah. uh, you had uh, a young uh, budding star. You were uh, a guy that uh, got a chance to coach uh, Doug yeah. Wilson, who was just twenty-two years early on. Yeah, he won the he won the. Uh, the Norris Trophy, and uh, yeah. that part, the year before I got to Chicago, they were in last place. The one year I went there, we went from the last place to the first place. And I went to uh, uh, Montreal, because <clears throat> in the Montreal, in the Chicago newspaper on Monday, they said that I was at a lifetime contract because we went from last place to the first place. <laughs> and... Uh, Got to Montreal, and he said we're making. It was a conflict over order with Eagles and them, so that's what happened. Oh, jeez! Oh, gosh! 
And uh, you mentioned about that worst of first and, and uh, winning the, uh, the Norris division uh, in that 1979-80 uh, season. And to then uh, opportunity knocked in uh, Western Pennsylvania and uh, be a place that would become your home and a professional home for 25 years and now a home all the way to the present day. Uh, what, what about uh, your early memories of uh, coming to Pittsburgh and, uh, and uh, taking the reins of, of the club uh, 1980? Well, when I came to Pittsburgh at training camp, uh, usually at training camp you have 35, 40 guys, at least that. <clears throat> and I came into uh, Pittsburgh, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I had 21 guys. So everybody made the team that year. You know, we didn't have any minor league club. And we... Uh, all 21 guys stayed on, on, on the roster that year. And we made the playoffs that year, too, also. Mm. And we had a guy named Randy Carlisle. It was my first year here. And he won the Norris Trophy my first year here, too. And uh, got, uh, the, uh, the Penguins' uh, fortunes uh, began to turn around uh, right away, really. As you mentioned, you got back in the playoffs uh, that year. And uh, behind the bench uh, through 1983... And then in 1984, uh, you had uh, taken the reins as general manager, and uh, you had an opportunity. You mentioned about uh, Bobby Orr and the fact that I, I, I'm going to call them, you were part of the Bruins in the, not the prehistoric years, the pre or historic years, and you knew what that experience was like. Now, uh, there's a player available by the name of Mario Lemieux. You have the first pick. What about that experience? You, there was no lack of offers to try to pry that first round pick away from you then. Oh, yes. We, uh, <laughs> Philadelphia offers Kinderchuk Lonsbury in the first rounder. Uh, Lou Nanny offered me all their picks. Uh, this, uh, Quebec offered me the Stassi brothers plus a first mm -hmm. rounder, you know, which Stassi brothers were, were very good. And Montreal made the comment to me no, no matter what Quebec offers you, we will, we will top it. But I told Mr. DeBartolo that <clears throat> I'm not going to trade him. I said, a player like this comes around once in a lifetime. And you certainly knew from experience about what a player of that caliber could do with what Bobby Orr did from prehistoric hockey to the Bobby Orr era in Boston. You knew that firsthand, Ed. Yeah, and, and not, not only that, but uh, Mario in, in Montreal only lived about 10 minutes from my, from my house. From my house. Mm -hmm. So I had a pretty good idea from, you know, what kind of a background and everything. Then I watched them play a lot in, in junior when I was the general manager. And that was an easy decision for me. It, indeed. And, uh, and, and, and all of Pittsburgh thanks you for that, uh, for making that decision. Uh, let alone drafting uh, a franchise player and one of the greatest players in the history of the NHL. But yep. uh, little did you know, you drafted a future owner. <laughs> yeah. At that particular time, I wasn't thinking of, of thinking of that. I was just trying to improve our hockey club. It, 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 indeed, indeed, you had that conversation with Ed Debatolo and uh, and kept the pick and uh, the the, uh, the fortunes of the the the, uh, the Penguins were uh, forever uh, forever altered at that point. Uh, the negotiations were a little tough uh, with his agent, but uh, you, you made that happen and uh, brought him in. And uh, you also began to add some pieces that would become. Uh, very important and prominent parts of uh, the Penguins uh, organization. Uh, uh, remember, as far as bringing in guys like Paul Coffey, Kevin Stevens, really built around Mario a very, very formidable hockey team and one that was dynamic and as exciting as any team that was ever on the ice in the NHL. Well, there was no question that, 
the uh, situation with uh, with coffee. Coffee was re- reminding me a little bit of Bobby Orr because he could really yeah. carry the puck, make plays, had a lot of speed and everything. And we needed that type of player. So and, and Kevin Stevens came in, and I traded a guy named Anders Hawkinson to LA for Kevin Stevens. Uh, Hawkinson ended up playing 15 more games in the league. And uh, Kevin went on to play 15, 15 more years, scored 50 goals in that. So we were blessed with a couple of moves. It, it indeed made a couple of very, very uh, uh, important impact moves uh, that would uh, that would impact uh, the uh, the future of the Penguins. And uh, your time in, in Pittsburgh, uh, coaching, general manager, uh, 1980, things were really just starting to build in Pittsburgh. And then you had an opportunity to, uh, to move on uh, to Hartford, uh, in 1989, what about the uh, the circumstances that uh, that brought you uh, to uh, Hartford for that uh, that three year period before you ended up uh, going back to what was really your home, it become your home in Pittsburgh? I had a situation arise. Uh, Bobby was instru- in, uh, or was in, instrumental in me uh, uh, going over to Hartford and uh, and become a GM over there because he knew the owner at that particular time and they were they were they were going to make a change in the GM situation. Emil Francis was there at that, at that time yeah. prior to me. And uh, I ended up uh, going over there and I was, I was blessed again. Uh, uh, we made the playoffs uh, for a couple of years I was there. And prior to that, they didn't make it for five or six years. And after that, they didn't make it for five or six years after that. Mm. So I was blessed, you know, mm. timing. Yep, and Indeed, all in the timing. And uh, ask you uh, about the, uh, the, the the trade to Pittsburgh once again uh, that uh, had uh, a very serious impact on both the franchises. The trade between Hartford and Pittsburgh uh, with uh, with Alf Samuelson, uh, Ron Francis, Ronnie Francis, yeah. And uh, you got my my good friend uh, from Boston University, uh, uh, longtime friend John Collins, Zali Zalapsky, that were the prominent guys that uh, that, yeah, that came they were, over. They turned they turned our thing around. And the situation with the Ronnie Francis was different because we, uh, we had no alternative. Uh, the owner came in and told us that if Ronnie Francis right. was here on Monday, that you guys were, you were not, uh, you won't be here. So uh, thank God I, there was the coaches and, uh, and, 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 uh, and somebody else was in there with me when that statement was made. So we had to get rid of him or we were gone. Right, but uh, well, we didn't want to get rid of Ronnie Francis. No, 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 indeed, you really uh, rocking. I'm glad you, you were able to articulate that uh, that it was really a rock and a hard place. Either he goes or you go. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> exactly. You're going to be uh, in the unemployment line uh, on Tuesday if it didn't happen on Monday, as it turns out. And yeah. uh, of course, for the uh, Craig Patrick, the GM in Pittsburgh. Uh, it turned out, you know, once again, uh, Eddie, your uh, connections to Pittsburgh, even before you got back to Pittsburgh, I know you've joked for many years that you should have got a ring from, from the Penguins yeah. for that year because how it worked out right. on their end. Well, I was instrumental in you know, them winning it, getting Ronnie over there and, and, and Alfie. And Alfie played very, very well for them and Jenner. But uh, that was a great addition for them and a great addition for us in Hartford, you know, because it turned out for uh, we finished in second spot that year. So. No, oh, absolutely. That's right. Your second place team in the in the Adams division, and I remember and uh, remember going down to see uh, some of the guys from BU would go down and see John and uh, and go down to Hartford. Hartford was uh, Hartford was a pretty swinging hockey town then. I remember the old Russian oh, yeah. lady, the old bar across the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I mean, it, it you know it was the, the franchise was 
really solid. Yep. It was really it, solid there. Indeed. The steakhouse, I'm trying to remember the name of the steakhouse in the mall there. We'd go for dinner and uh, would always have, uh, have a, a great time, a great time down there in, uh, in Hartford for uh, enjoying NHL hockey at that time. Uh, three years in Hartford and then uh, once again, that uh, mystical tug of Western Pennsylvania, you yeah. came back in, uh, in 1993. You know, once again, uh, you had some success, and uh, I, I know that uh, it, was, uh, it was one of those things you just weren't able to quite, uh, you know, timing and circumstances and a few breaks here and there. You had a couple of impressive playoff runs, but just couldn't yeah, get we lost back one, over the top. The, the, one, the one series, we lost Ronnie Francis for, for the finals. Right, if we Big didn't injury. lose him. We we yeah. If we didn't lose him. We would have won it again. We would have won it. No sure. No no question. Indeed, some uh, great opportunities there between uh, 1993 and 97, and one of the classic clips that everybody can have a chance to take a look at on on uh, YouTube. If anybody ever doubts, and you shouldn't, the toughness of Eddie Johnson. Well, you know, he played without a mask in the NHL. Uh, the 1996 playoffs. You got a cut on the bench. You never left the bench. That was just business as usual for you. You're probably thinking back to your goaltending days. Yeah, and I got 20, I think 23 stitches that night. <laughs> and I stayed there until I got stitched up after the, the game. Oh, jeez. But I was used to getting hit in the head. <laughs> That's right. No, <laughs> yeah, just business as usual. Another day at the office, this time on the bench, the puck was able to find you. And, uh, and from there, once again, from there, uh, you uh, stepped in uh, back uh, into the front office uh, uh, for uh, uh, over a decade as assistant GM and uh, a senior advisor uh, with, yeah. the, uh, with, with the Penguins. Uh, the guys that you coached there during that time, my goodness, uh, you think, about, think back, I was just checking, you, know, you mentioned Ronnie Francis, uh, Mario, of course, uh, Samuelson. You had a couple of other Hall of Famers with uh, a guy named... Murphy. Yeah, yeah, with with Larry Murphy, Joe Mullen, Joe uh, Mullen. Rick, oh yeah, yeah, Joe Mullen, another Hall of Famer, uh, yeah. Rick Rick Tockett that you coached, Trotier. Yeah. You had a chance to coach Cully because Cully came back. John Cullen came back. Yeah. Luke Robitaille, yeah. uh, and also a guy named Yaramir Yeager who. Yaramir uh, uh, Yeager, yeah, <laughs> pretty good player. <laughs> I mean, that's that's amazing. I mean, that's just uh, that, that reads like the Hockey Hall of Fame in terms of the guys. That you had the opportunity to coach once again, Eddie. You were really blessed I was to be blessed. surrounded with that talent. Yeah, I was very blessed. The guy upstairs has been very good to me. It, indeed, and uh, and you know, once again, all the way uh, to that run in 1996. You mentioned about the injury to to, to uh, Francis and went all the way to the uh, the conference uh, finals uh, that year. And uh, if anybody could go out on top as far as your official, because I know you still uh, you still bleed that uh, black and gold uh, for the for the Penguins. Uh, Black and gold were always your colors, as it turned out to be professionally your most prominent colors. Uh, your last game you announced uh, in 2009, uh, you were senior advisor uh, to the club at that time, uh, that it would be your last game. It was game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. Y your, your memories about that, uh, the fact that uh, how many guys get to go out on top, particularly when you look at a 53-year career in pro hockey, but it couldn't have been a more storybook finish for you, uh, Eddie, on that night and to win the cup once again. Oh, there was no question about it, you know. And I had my, my family, my, my wife was, was there with me, and uh, uh, my, my son, my two, my two boys, and then my daughter. So it, would, it was a dream come true because to go out that high, you know, and feel that good on that particular night, it was just fantastic. 
indeed the case. And uh, I had the, uh, you know, really a member when you, when you consider uh, as a member of the Penguins family, uh, two stints as a coach, GM, assistant GM, senior advisor, and uh, now uh, as uh, really an, an ambassador, you'll, you'll always be a lifelong, lifetime ambassador uh, for the you franchise. Know, Mario, Mario's been fantastic. He's been great to me. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to draft him. But, uh, but as a person, there's no better person than Mario. And, you know, and what he's done for our franchise here is just, uh, special because if it wasn't for him keeping hockey here in Pittsburgh. And I think the last seven, ten years now, we've been sold out every game. And mm. you know, all, that is, all that is a tribute to Mario for what he's done for not only for our hockey club, but for the city of, of Pittsburgh. And that, uh, in that 2009 experience, uh, something different uh, than your first two experiences as a player winning the Stanley Cup in 1970 and 1972. Uh, new tradition, Ed, uh, had, uh, had been done. I believe it started with the Devils uh, back when, I think when the Devils won their first Cup. I'm going back, I think it was to the, back to the 90s. The opportunity for everybody in the organization that was designated to take the Cup for 24 hours. Yeah. The opportunity to take it around. What a great experience that must have been. <laughs> That was phenomenal. I took it to the neighborhood. I took it to a couple of bars where I used to, used to frequent, which is natural. But uh, <laughs> and, and, and for the players to get the opportunity to t- take it to Europe, you know, so guys, to uh, Russian people and, and Finland, Sweden, they're all over like that. To be able to take that cup there, that's something else. And that, what the league did there was just uh, phenomenal. Yeah, it, it, indeed. I know you commented at the time that uh, if that had been the tradition in the early 70s, that might have been uh, maybe a little dicey that the, that the cup might have, been, uh, might have gone missing uh, MIA there for a while with those Bruins tapes. Yeah, it, it might have. Uh, I don't think that was a good idea back then, but it's a good idea now. Good, good idea now and one uh, that, you, uh, that you had the opportunity uh, to enjoy. And, and uh, also uh, the following year, I had the, had the chance with 50 former Penguins uh, to be introduced, acknowledged on the ice. You'd coach more games. Uh, than anybody in Penguins history. You had more wins until uh, Dan uh, Bilsma had broke that record in 2014. You held that record for many years. But uh, you did have a chance for that, uh, that, that last skate uh, at the, yeah, the Mellon Arena. And I think as you went out at the time, if, uh, if not for Mario and, and his efforts, I think you said that it would have been a parking lot yep. and nothing else would have ever grown there. No, there's no question about it. Uh, you know, thank God we drafted Mario, but... But as a, as a human being and what he's done for the city alone, it's, just, it's been fantastic. Uh, in, 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 indeed the case. I've got to ask you also, um, uh, as, a, uh, as a footnote here, uh, back in the summer after uh, winning that uh, Stanley Cup in 1972, you were part of Team Canada in the, uh, the, the legendary, mythic, if you will, once again, I've got to use that word, uh, Summit Series, as one of the three net miners, Ken Dryden and Tony Esposito and yourself, yeah. And uh, your, your memories about that experience. So just talk about a once in a lifetime. People are going to talk about that forever. Oh. Yeah, it was once in a lifetime, you know, just to be picked on that, on that hockey club. But the, uh, how we won it, you know, and when we first came in to, to camp, uh, we, you know, we got some uh, bad scouting reports on them because they were switching the players and doing all kinds of stuff. And, they, you know, and we just thought it was, it was like it going to be a joke. And then I remember the first game, we were up a couple of goals right off the bat, and the guys were just thinking this is going to be a blowout. And then for the next 40 minutes, they never gave us the puck. And then that was a wake-up call. But, and 
we never were in that kind of shape, you know, because the training camp, it took you a while to get in, you know, to get going. So when, when Harry and them took us over to, to Europe, they got us in hell of a much, much, much better shape than that. And it just turned around. But uh, to win that thing and, uh, and, you know, with Paul Henderson scoring that winning goal, but this to be over there at that particular time, the way the, the, the world was set up, you know, with Russia and all that stuff. It was, uh, it was something to behold. It, and it was a once in a lifetime. Indeed the case. And, and you were one of the, uh, the uh, chosen few to be part of it, uh, representing Canada and uh, really with all of North America, with all the hockey fans. I remember as, as a young kid, uh, I always think back to that Summit Series, uh, Eddie. My father held off on buying a college television until that Summit Series. I always watched the Bruins in black and white up until 1972. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally got the, broke down and got the color TV to watch the, uh, the Canada-Russia Summit yeah. Series. Oh, yeah, it was something else. It, it, it Canada did. was, a, when we won the, the last game, uh, Canada were all on, uh, took, everybody took the day off from schools and everything just to watch the game. Indeed, the whole, the whole world stopped there. Yeah, the whole world stopped. It, indeed. <laughs> You know, as somebody that, that uh, has uh, the, the history that you have uh, in the game of hockey and uh, at the uh, position, I've got to ask you about goaltending and, and goaltending style. You, you know, it was uh, – I'm, I'm always will attest that the goaltending position has gone from the least coached position, most important position in the sport, to the most coached, maybe overcoached position now. What about your experience? Did, did anybody – coach you in terms of technique as a netminder? How did your style, you kind of a stand-up, you know, old-school stand-up guy. Uh, but as you've watched the position evolve, what are some of the thoughts that come to mind as you think about it and how it's coached today? Uh, basically, back then, everybody was pretty well was stand-up guy. You know, you'd use your pads to slide there and there. Now, you know, it, uh, coaching and the goalkeeping, each team has a, has a goalie coach now. And even in the minor leagues, they have a goalie coach in that. And they changed, you know, they've changed the whole the whole way of playing, playing goal. And a lot of a lot of the guys have adapted very very well, you know, to the style of play with the goalkeepers use now. But it's 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 changed completely from way back when I was there. Indeed, you know, talk about the the advent of the mask, but the rest of your equipment that you wore then, as <laughs> opposed. When you see these guys now, they look like, uh, you know, like the, the Michelin man out there. Uh, and then when you look at the gloves, I mean, my dad was an old goaltender, and he used to say, look at that peach basket that they're using now for a glove, you know? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, they, they, I was black and blue from training camp on the first, <laughs> second day of training camp because my iron, no iron pads. had was nothing up on, on the shoulders. You just had like a chest protector. And you were and you were black. And now they, you know, their chest protector. They got uh, shoulder pads. They got, they got everything is so much, you know, better, and and bigger, you know. So it, and and plus, it, it, you look at the goalkeepers, the size of the goalkeepers now. Every guy has got to be six two, six three. There's no more five eight, five nine guys anymore, like the the, the Gumper and, and that. That's right. Totally different. You you were what about six one. You'd be yeah. one of the smaller guys now at six one, Eddie. You were one of the <laughs> taller guys then. Yeah, I was uh, probably the tallest, just about the tallest guy. But then, then uh, now, if you're not that, you're not that size, especially with the equipment and that, they, they cover the net pretty well. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, that, that's become uh, completely different. 
and, and also, uh, you know, as a guy that, uh, that experienced the game, and I can't think of anybody that experienced the game from as many different, uh, I'm going to use the goaltending term, angles, playing, coaching, yeah. administrator. What about, uh, is, and I know you still follow it, and uh, you follow the Penguins very closely, and you follow the NHL, you get to games, you're down in Florida. I go to games all the time. Yeah, you're there all the time. What about the, uh, the state of the game today, as, as you see it, do you enjoy today's game and how the game has evolved in terms of uh, how it's played? Yeah, I, I, I hope they opened the game up a lot. You know, uh, they took the red line out, and, you know, they can use more speed through the neutral zone and that. And, you know, you can make, you make plays. Uh, if, if you look at most teams, you look in the playoffs, uh, Tampa Bay, their defensemen are, you know, they're like the fourth forward, like uh, Orr when he was there. So they opened the game up a little bit in that. So uh, I, I enjoy I enjoy the game. It seems well, like it, th- th- there's been that commitment, uh, Eddie, and, and you had the opportunity to see the, the, the greatest, uh, you know, arguably the greatest artist of all time with what Bobby Orr did night in, night out. But just the fact that it seems like the skilled players are allowed to use their skill. I always say if a guy can get from point A to point B without being impeded or interfered with, you're going to have a, you're going to have a beautiful game. You're going to have one that's going to be entertaining. Yeah, you know I'm I'm going back coaching again. Oh, you are. Yeah, my my son has that three ice. Oh, the three. That's right. The uh, with the we're going to talk. That's right. Going to talk about that in a minute with the uh, with the uh, the three uh, the three on three, and yeah, uh, yeah that uh, I, I got uh, I got the notes here on uh, your son that we talked about who uh, happens to have Bobby Orr as his godfather exactly, yeah. uh, Ed Johnston Jr. and uh, want to give you an opportunity to uh, to promote that Ed. I believe it's called Three Ice, which is a three-on-three yeah. league that's going to start just to give, give us uh, some insight yeah. some information. Uh, Joey, uh, the coaches are Joey Mullen, Brian Trottier, uh, Leclerc, John Leclerc, myself, uh, and Angela uh, Ruggiero. Uh, oh, she was, okay. She's Great in the Hall of star. Fame. Yep, Hall yeah. of Famer, yes. Yeah, and uh, Larry Murphy, and uh, the goalkeeper in uh, – and it was an Edmonton uh, Hall of Famer, just unbelievable. Uh, Grant Fior. Uh, Grant Fior. He's he's another yep. one of the coaches. Wow. So yeah, and, and uh, it's uh, we're going to we're going to uh, hopefully get a goal next year. We we, we he signed up with uh, uh, CBS on, on television. All, all TVs in Canada all were already signed up. Wow. Yeah. So we got uh, we've got a, a pretty good uh, situation going right now. It, so he, we, my son. Came up, you know, I was at our training camp one year and he decided uh, we had the prospect camp in the three-on-three and on the first day or two, it was only three or four hundred people came in to do, watch the prospect camp here. Mm. And then the final day, you couldn't get near the building. Wow. So mm. he, he just decided to try it and it's worked very well. Everybody's extremely happy with it. We just got set back a little bit, unfortunately, because of the virus. Right, because of the because of COVID nineteen. Otherwise, we'd be going now. Yeah. And so, so the plan was you were going to start this summer. So now, uh, we can start look forward summer. three ice in uh, the summer of twenty twenty one, and you do have yeah. uh, television rights secured, and now uh, be ready for takeoff. That's very exciting. Yeah, we're we're, we're very well excited, and the coaches are mostly all Hall of Fame guys, so it's going to be great. It, it, indeed, and with great, your great great, uh, yeah, great Patrick your, is the commissioner. Oh, really? And Craig Patrick, your old friend from the Penguins, will be the commissioner. Yeah. And he's with, the commissioner. Well, that, that, 
that that's quite a lineup. You've got uh, just a number of Hall of Famers and uh, guys that bring, you know, as I say, the most, I think the most important word in the English language to me, Eddie, and boy, you have it, you have it exponentially is passion. And you've, you've uh, continued to have that passion for the game. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited to hear you're going to get another opportunity uh, to, uh, to coach. <laughs> I'm looking forward. Yeah. I'm really looking forward. Yeah, indeed. And, and your time, as you mentioned today, uh, you've been an avid golfer uh, for decades. I know when, uh, uh, an interview that I saw when Arnold Palmer passed away, uh, the uh, the great uh, Arnold Palmer, and of course yep. native of Latrobe, you were very close with Arnold Palmer and had an opportunity to introduce him to uh, people such as Bobby Orr along the way. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember the first time uh, that uh, we were out in California. Bobby was just a young guy; he was the number one player in the league, and we went to a golf outing out there. And uh, I went down to see Arnie, and I asked him. I said, "There's a gentleman up here who'd like to possibly can get an autograph signed here." He said, "Who's the kid?" I told him Bobby Orr. He said, get him down here right now. <laughs> and he signed autographs. Bobby signed autographs for Arnold Palmer. And when he died, Bobby, Bobby was up at the funeral. Him and wow. Arnie were very close. Wow, they, they became uh, very, very close friends. And once yeah. again, uh, not surprisingly, as we say, the most beloved man in hockey, you made that happen. You brought those guys together. You know, it, uh, it, uh, that, that really, it's a great, uh, great story, a great tribute to you to be able to uh, facilitate that and, and, and bring those great, two greatest icons, arguably, of their sport together yeah. uh, with, uh, with uh, Bobby Orr and, uh, and, uh, and, and Arnold Palmer. And uh, once again, uh, very active. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, you've still, uh, you know, I, I guess it's your heyday. You were shooting in this back in the 70s. I think you were shooting in the 70s. So you've been a pretty avid yeah. golfer for a long time. Yeah, I was, uh, I was a, scratch, a scratch player for a long time. Mm. I won the American Airlines Tournament in Toronto, mm. 1972. One ten, we won, uh, Derek was, was one of my partners, and we won 10,000, and we, we gave it to, uh, back to charity. Wow. Wow, that's, uh, that, 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 that's, that's tremendous. It's great to, to see that you're still active. And, and, uh, and from all indications, you still get pretty excited. I know I saw a report, uh, you and, and uh, Bobby, uh, we're down in Florida for a Panthers-Penguins game, and Bobby said you still got to be careful and get ready to move at any time because those elbows could be flying <laughs> from Eddie up in the uh, up in the booth. You still get very excited when you watch your pens play. Oh yeah, I do. I, I do. I, I went to uh, quite a few games last year with Bobby and I, and we we have a few laughs and we, you know, if somebody else score a goal or make a great play, and you just you, you stand up and get wow, wasn't that great? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, Ed, uh, re remarkable career. Once again, the last Iron Man in the NHL, 1963-64, uh, every minute of every game. Upon retirement, you were ninth in games played. You were 16th in wins with 236. You played almost 600 games, 591. And as I always say, you know, one of my, uh, my, my favorite artists, Graham Parker, uh, passion is no ordinary word. And uh, I think uh, in conclusion here, uh, we're going to go right to uh, your, your lifelong friend, Bobby Orr, uh, quoted about you, Eddie Johnston. He just wanted to win. He was an incredible teammate, and I've never forgotten that. Eddie was tough. He was really tough. The last goalie to play in all 70 games in a season, and he's got the biggest time. People always want to know him. They always want to be around him. Mario, Sid, they love him. It's hard not to. It's been so many years, and it's been a treat. He's my dearest friend, and uh, after having an opportunity to to spend time with you here today, Eddie, I I couldn't agree more. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, 
We had the opportunity here today on the games people play to talk to the most beloved man in hockey. You still are, and now you got a whole new team to coach. You got a new gig next year. Yeah, I'm all set. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much, Eddie. You uh, you played uh, very well with us here today uh, on the games people play, and uh, we want to thank uh, Eddie for uh, for joining us and sharing uh, his 53 year career. And now, once again, uh, three ice next summer. Uh, folks, uh, tune in, and uh, we heard the list of Hall of Fame uh, hockey uh, uh, icons that are involved, and I'm sure it's going to be very enjoyable and entertaining. And uh, Eddie Johnston, God bless him, still going strong in Western Pennsylvania. Thanks very much. I want to uh, thank uh, my executive producer, Andy Bernstein, as always. And uh, once again, this is Bernie Corbett saying, play the game well, everyone. Vintage Brand is the story of American sporting culture combining our rich history, traditions, rituals, and pageantry. Weaving together more than a century of American sports memories and images, it defines what tradition really means. Come experience the history and rituals. Remember and honor the legends. Feel the passion and pageantry of the past. Welcome to the greatest collection of American sports history and images, all reproduced on fan apparel and merchandise. Welcome to Vintage Brands.